Transmitting high atop of Florida's peninsula, this is Alpha Mike, and you are listening to episode 166, Lord High Execution, as we continue the series of the Wise Guys series. But our shows are not going to be an hour long. They're going to be 30 minutes, so we've got a lot on the agenda that we've got to kind of spell out. So the word of the week will be at the end. We will close with the good word of the Lord. Shorter show, more powerful, more straight to the point. Don't forget, want to be a member of the USCCA, just go down to the show notes and click or dial 87222-87222 and dial the word Raider. Now, it's time for episode 166, Lord High Executioner. Episode 166, Lord High Executioner. His name, Umberto Albert Anastasio, born September 26, 1902. Some other names that he went by, the Mad Hatter, and, of course, Lord High Executioner. He would come to the United States illegally with his brothers, Joseph Anthony and Gerardo in 1919, arriving to the shores of New York City, where he would concentrate on the pier, the waterfront, because Albert knew that wherever the ships landed, there was loot to be made. And there's where he concentrated his efforts. In March 17th, 1921, he was convicted for murder, the murder of a gentleman by the name of George Torino. The murder, of course, was related to the pier. It was Albert's control as he started to muscle in on that pier. It would take him to many more crimes, but this one after being a short time in America, convicted of murder. Albert was sentenced to the death sentence, death penalty as a result to that murder. But fear not, Albert would win an appeal. 1922, he wins his appeal because all four witnesses against him somehow just disappeared. Following the murder and the appeal win, Albert Anastasio 
but changed his name to Anastasia. You see, he was new, reborn. He was a new product now. They couldn't confuse him with that murder in the newspapers. Albert, at the age of 20, would become a leader of the International Longshoremen's Association. He had to control the pier in Brooklyn, and he knew he had to do it through the union. He had scared everybody into these positions. He was becoming much more powerful. Albert, shortly after, joins the ranks of Joe the Boss Masaria because he needs a gang to stand behind him. During this association in the Masaria group, he would meet legendary gangsters like Frank Costello, Vito Genovese, Charlie Luciano, and Adonius. They would go on to mentor Albert in the ways of the Mafia. Albert would continue 1931, in September of, of 1931. The trio or the, or the four that I mentioned were on a hit. Who was their target? Well, none other than Joe Masseria, the boss. He was caught up in a long war with another rival, and they wanted to get rid of him. So they did, and they sent in the Mad Hatter, Lord Executioner, with the team, and that would be Albert. Albert, enjoy killing. In 1932, he would be charged with this killing. But once again, fear not, it went nowhere because no witnesses could be found. Shortly after 1932, the commission had already been organized and Albert had been placed under the Vincent Mangano on the Mangano family with the Mangano brothers. And he was given the position of underboss. But Charlie Lucky, chairman of the commission, wanted to create something called Murder Incorporated. It would not only have Italian gangsters on there, but there would be Jewish gangsters and some others like Irish gangsters. Murder Incorporated would go out and do the dirty business of organized crime. And as a result, Luciano would pick Albert Anastasia as that person to lead those efforts. This, of course, would create all kinds of problems later on, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Murder Incorporated's headquarters, well, they'd get their orders out of all all places, a candy store. I remember as a kid, candy stores. You say that today, nobody knows what you're talking about. It was a store that only sold candy. And everybody liked it. Kids used to go there after school. You used to drive the owner crazy. But 1931, Albert would be uh, the underboss of the Mangano family. And as I said, he was going to have problems now with the Mangano brothers because they felt that he was going over 
the boss's head in Vincent Mangano. He was getting orders from the commission, taking orders, and doing the hits. But he wasn't sharing it with his boss. As a result, his boss felt he was being a little bit over, uh, overstepped and that he was losing control. And when you start killing people, it's always a good to be on the in and not the out. These problems with the boss and his brother, which was the consulary at the time, would be the end of the Mangano brothers when Albert, on April 19, 1951, would kill both of them. Now, this of killing a boss and not having it sanctioned by the commission is a definite no-no. And Albert had to come in and answer a whole lot of questions. The bosses from the other family thought that Albert would deny it and say he didn't know what happened to him, but he didn't deny it. He said, they tried to kill me, so I killed them. They brought it. Frank Costello, thumbs up. Why? Frank needed an ally in Albert Anastasia. Because remember, he's got Vito Genovese and his family right on his heels trying to take him out. And having a tough guy like Albert Anastasia, boss on the commission, as your friend, that was going to give Frank a good boost. Joe Bonanno didn't see nothing wrong with it because he knew that a war was bad for business and bad for his wallet. So he was done with it. Guy's gone. What else are we going to do next? And, of course, Tommy Lucchese, which was very close to Albert's new underboss, which was Carlo Gambino. Of course, Lucchese didn't see nothing wrong with it either. Kind of everybody's happy, and we can continue moving forward. And as a result, the family would be changed its name from the Mangano family to the Anastasia family. Albert would enjoy leadership here for... 1951 to 1957. Costello, as I said, liked the idea of having Albert because it would keep Vito at bay. It was a bad game of chess that was being played by the bosses on the commission. They were looking at each other and seeing how they could have more power. Costello knew this, so having Albert close by was good. But eventually, that date would come where the other bosses had no more need for Albert. You see, Albert became more and more greedy. He wanted to take positions and eliminate people and take over rackets. He even got his hands in... Cuba in casino gambling, really pissing off Meyer Lansky. And a lot of people knew that Albert was besides himself. He was getting too big for his bridges. But Albert was trusting that people feared him, so they weren't going to do anything. But not for long. Not for long. 
During this time, murder and cooperated would be the plug would get pulled by the commission itself. They decided to get rid of Murder Incorporated because they had one of them became a snitch. Abe Rellis, he started to become a parrot. And as a result, a lot of people got nervous. See, the mindset behind Murder Incorporated, they would go out and do the contract killings and the bosses really could say, I don't know what you're talking about. I have nothing to do with them. And it was a good shield for them. But eventually, Murder Incorporated would start turning on each other because they all knew the inner secrets. Abe Reynolds became a protected witness against the elements of Murder Incorporated and its leadership. They held him up in as a witness in protective custody in a hotel in Coney Island. But Abe, for some reason, from the third or fourth floor of that hotel, decided to jump out the window. Of course, the sheet was placed outside the window to make it look like Abe was trying to escape with a little sheet four stories down. Abe never made it, but nobody really cared. The bottom line was the plug is going to be pulled up from uh, Murder Incorporated. We won't be needing that any longer. And the bosses in La Costa Nostra are going to dodge a bullet. As a result, Albert, old fame profession of killing people, he's out of business now. But remember, he's in charge of his own family, so I guess he'll just concentrate on some rackets and killing his own people. Uh, business is always good. Albert takes over, and as I said, his greed starts to become bigger and bigger. And Vito Genovese eventually is going to make a move. You see, just like Albert was an underboss under the Mangano brothers, Vincent Mangano, his Albert's underboss is Carlo Gambino. Vito Genovese would reach out to him and say, Carlo, how would you like to become a new boss? He said, I love it. Well, we'll get rid of Albert. What do you think? He loved the idea because he got to be boss. And they did. As a result, Carlo would back Vito on the attempted killing of Frank Costello. Remember, Costello wanted Albert on the commission because it was his protection. But his protection is soon to be gone. In August of 1957, the commission, at the time, of course, Albert didn't vote in that, that vote, but you would have Bonanno, Provacci, uh, it was not going to be Costello. So there really wasn't any type of approval. Some knew, some didn't. All would play stupid. But the bottom line is in 19, October of 1957, the team of five from the Provacci family was sent in. Carla wanted no traces to him just in case it went bad. 
So, Pravacci sent in his two shooters, Carmine Persico and the Gallo brothers, and of course the other lookouts on uh, the Sheraton Hotel in Manhattan. They would execute Albert Anastasia, seven to eight shots with several to the head as execution shots. No doubt, once uh, Carlo Gambino took over the family, he threw out the name, we won't be using that any longer, and they replaced it with the Gambino family. Frank Costello now is going to get shot at by Vincent the Chin Gigante from Orders to Vito Genovese. Skins Frank's skull. Remember, we had that on one of our earlier episodes. And Frank decides that a long, prosperous career that he's had in organized crime is good enough. With a grazed bullet to the skull, it's time to retire. And he turns over the reins to Vito Genovese. So, as I said, a great game of chess with the commissioners up there. Everybody eyeing out everybody else. But Albert was one of those individuals that didn't play well with others. As a result, his days were numbered, and he became kind of schizophrenic towards the end of his life. He knew that. He lived in a big mansion in New Jersey with attack dogs and everything else, but he knew eventually they want to get you, they're going to get you. And they did. That October 1957, as he came in for a shave and a haircut, the barber would put a wet, hot towel on his face. And the next thing, Albert would be awakened with the shooters right on top of him. It was his greed, his power, and his lust to kill that eventually killed him. The family now would become the Gambino family. We know that Albert controlled the peers in Brooklyn his whole life, but he also had relatives as his brother, Anthony, controlled it. Anthony, in 1963, would die of a heart attack, but not before he made an attempt to talk to the FBI. You see, he was a little bit bitter that his brother was taken out and killed. He knew his brother was bad, though, and he had it coming to him. But he was fearful that Vito Genovese would come after him. So he became pen pals with FBI agents. But they never did get rid of Al... Um, Anthony Anastasio because he would die of a heart attack. But the man that married his daughter that would make him his son-in-law, Anthony Scotto, would become a powerful figure in the uh, Longshoremen's Association for many, many years only to get replaced or removed from that position by John Gotti in the mid-80s. Gotti said, he's been there too long, and I guess Gotti didn't trust him. So he broke him down from that position and instilled somebody else. At the end, that was the beginning of the end 
to the control that the Gambinos would have of the Brooklyn waterfronts, that business was fast drying up. Albert Anastasia played a role in the beginning of the Costa Nostra in New York City from an effective killer and a person that was feared. He was mentored by the pioneers of that early commission, 1931, and they would mold him into the greedy, monstrous person that he would eventually become, only to have those same people remove him because they just didn't trust him. Up next, the Silver Fox. Who is this person? What do they contribute to? And whatever they foundation they laid, is it still around today? We'll discover that much more when we look at the Silver Fox, episode 167. Of course, we're no longer doing the Song of the Week, so you don't have to worry about that. So we're going to close up now with the Word of the Week. We are leaving that segment in because we believe uh, it doesn't take up much time, and we know that the Word of God is always a key in everybody's life. So we're going to go ahead and throw that in. So let's have the Word of the Week. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. First Thessalonians 5.18. And we are listening to this, hopefully, before the day of Thanksgiving. All over the country, Democratic governors are saying, bah humbug to Thanksgiving and Christmas. But here on the part of Raider Cop Podcast, we wish you many blessings this Thanksgiving. Continue to ask God for those special blessings that he gives you and your family. Thanksgiving is a time to reflect on family and, most importantly, to reflect on what God has given us. And there's a lot to reflect on. So, as always, continue to pray for each other because without us in the game, we have nothing. Continue to pray for the law enforcement agencies that serve you and continue to pray for the United States of America. This is Alpha Mike, and I'm out.
Four three two three. Come on, what the heck? Four three two three. Just uh, thirteen twenty two.